to the August Pensions Podcast from the Stevenson Harwood Pensions Law Team. You can subscribe and listen on iTunes and Stitcher or by visiting our website at www.shlegal.com. I'm Graham Wrightson, a partner in the Pensions Team, and I have with me today Naeem Noor, a senior associate in the team. Today the topics we're going to look at include new guidance issued on defined benefit transfers, revisions to the Pensions Regulator's guidance on defined contribution investment governance, and the level of due diligence that must be carried out in light of a pension transfer request. Firstly, however, we'll look at the industry favourite, the guidance on GMP equalisation. Thanks, Graham. This is becoming an industry favourite. The cross-industry GMP equalisation working group has produced the first in a series of guides to assist those involved in the process of adjusting scheme benefits to counter the inequalities of guaranteed minimum pensions between male and female members. The guide highlights three key areas where action should be taken now. The first is GMP reconciliation. The guide notes that schemes need to consider whether members' benefits should be adjusted to reflect GMP reconciliation or whether such adjustments should wait until GMP equalisation has been undertaken, meaning that an adjustment would only have to be made once. Schemes should consider which members are impacted by reconciliation and which will be impacted by GMP equalisation. If there is minimal overlap between the two groups, there may be a stronger case for proceeding with reconciliation now. Whatever option is chosen, clear member communication will be the key. The second area that the guidance notes trustees should consider is data capture and verification. These will be a key part to a successful GMP equalisation exercise. Trustees should be considering this process now. And the final area for trustees to think about now is what the guidance refers to as impacted transactions. These are transactions that may need to be revisited as part of the equalisation project if undertaken before the scheme benefits have been amended to counter the effects of unequal GMPs. Examples include transfers out, trivial commutation and serious ill health lump sums. Consideration should be given as to how to deal with these transactions. The guidance highlights that if transactions such as transfers out and trivial commutation are to be carried out now, making an allowance for GMP equalisation, care needs to be taken to consider the circumstances in which such a calculation may need to be revisited once GMP equalisation has been achieved for the scheme as a whole. Trustees should also ensure that the approach taken to transfers out does not fetter the choice of equalisation method for the scheme as a whole. If certain transactions are to proceed on an unequalised basis, consideration should be given as to whether there is a risk tax charges will arise on, for example, a subsequent top-up payment. Whilst delaying certain transactions may be an option, it will not be practicable for serious ill-health lump-sum payments. Further guidance from the working group will be issued later this year. In the meantime, we await guidance from HMRC, in relation to the tax issues, in particular with regard to impacted transactions. Further background on this topic and information regarding the practical considerations to take into account in a number of impacted transactions can be found in our briefings on GMP equalisation. Okay, thanks Naeem. For our next topic, we're looking at the Good Practice Guide to Define Benefit Transferred issued by the Pensions Administration Standards Association, or PASA. PASA hopes that its guidance will create a DB transfer framework which achieves the right balance between member protection and an individual's statutory right to take their pension in a different shape or form via a flexible arrangement. 
With this in mind, the guidance has three specific aims geared towards achieving faster, well-communicated, efficient and cost-effective DB transfer strategies, which scheme administrators and the industry as a whole can execute. First, the guidance looks to improve the overall member experience through faster, safer transfers. It sets out the maximum acceptable timescales for processing transfers and promotes the principle of administrators taking a lead on the end-to-end member experience. Second, the guide seeks to improve efficiency for administrators by including a transfer template devised by a working group including representatives from the Financial Conduct Authority and the Pensions Regulator. This is intended to standardise transfer requests, aid automation and result in improved efficiency which saves time and resources. Finally, the guidance attempts to improve communications and transparency in the processing of transfers by recognising that keeping members and stakeholders better informed and proactively managing expectations reduces the need for chasing and raising queries. As such, each transfer communication should add value to the member. The guidance is part one of a series of two and relates to standard DB transfer cases. Part two is expected to be published towards the end of 2019 and will cover non-standard or complex cases, such as those involving partial transfers, non-statutory transfers and potential scam transfers. Whilst the guidance is voluntary, PASA anticipates that the Pensions Ombudsman will reference it when reviewing complaint cases as a source of what good industry practice looks like. Thanks, Graham. Now, some more guidance issued recently by the Pensions Regulator. This is in response to the changes being introduced to trustee investment and disclosure obligations from October this year. Therefore, the Pensions Regulator has updated its investment governance guidance for DC trustees. The guidance seeks to offer assistance to trustees when it comes to considering environmental, social and governance factors in investment strategy, which they will need to reflect in their Statement of Investment Principles from October. The guidance in particular notes that trustees should understand the systematic risks of climate change in investment decisions in the context of their scheme. In addition, the regulator stresses that trustees must take account of all financially material factors relevant to the performance of investments when considering investments and investment strategy and provide examples of a number of considerations to take into account. The guidance also offers advice to trustees on how to approach non-financial considerations and member views and how trustees can approach their stewardship policy. The guidance, in addition, touches upon the forthcoming requirements of trustees to tender for fiduciary management services, where 20% or more of the scheme's assets will be subject to such management, and how trustees can undertake the appointment of a fiduciary manager. And for our final topic this month, we look at a recent Ombudsman decision, which suggests a watershed for due diligence standards on transfers out. A recent Ombudsman determination considered a complaint from Mr R that his former pension plan provider failed to carry out sufficient due diligence about his transfer. In light of the receiving scheme turning out to be a scam arrangement, Mr R sought reinstatement of his pension rights with the transferring plan, plus interest on those rights. The Ombudsman, however, rejected the complaint, a key fact for that decision being the standard to be expected within the pensions industry around the time of the transfer. So, by way of some background on this... The transfer process started in late 2012 and was completed on 21 February 2013. The determination noted that completion of the transfer coincided with the time that the pensions regulator issued guidance about pension liberation scams. While the Ombudsman's determination noted that industry practice on transfer due diligence changed at that time in light of the pensions regulator's guidance, 
It also stated that it was reasonable to allow a short period of time for providers to consider and implement the guidance. Therefore, the Ombudsman concluded that, for this transfer at least, the due diligence checks carried out by the transferring plan were appropriate at that point in time, and so the plan's provider could not be held responsible for any loss of pension. The transfer occurred in the short grace period after the pension regulator's scam guidance was issued, but before the time the Ombudsman expected schemes to have implemented improved due diligence processes for pension transfers. I think it's fair to say that the outcome for Mr R could have been quite different had the transfer occurred a few months later, as a recent Ombudsman determination concerning a Mr N demonstrated. In that case, the transfer occurred in August 2014, and the transferring scheme was criticised for not putting in place robust and compliant procedures reflecting the pension regulator's pensions liberation guidance. As a result, the transferring scheme was required to reinstate the members' benefits. So whilst the precise expiry date for the grace period following the pension regulator's 2013 guidance remains unclear, this determination at least is a reminder that the Ombudsman now expects trustees to take account of regulatory and industry guidance when conducting transfer due diligence. With that in mind, we would suggest that pension scheme trustees, administrators and providers consider the recent update to the PLSA's Voluntary Code of Good Practice on combating pension scams. Thanks, Graham. That's all for this month's podcast. Further details on all of the subjects discussed can be found in the August snapshot. The briefings we have produced on GMP equalisation and from your usual Stevenson Howard Pensions Law Team contact. Thanks again for listening. We hope you found the podcast informative and don't forget that you can listen again and subscribe to the series on iTunes, Stitcher or on the Stevenson Harwood website. Mm-hmm.